episode 30 of Super Entertainment Presents, the television crossover universe on the Grand Google Network. Welcome, coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. The TVCU crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots through official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality that we call the television crossover universe. And no, your ears do not deceive you. This is not Robert E. Ronsky Jr., yet again. As we said last time, the fob watch hiding his identity was shattered, and he remembered he is, in fact, the Doctor. Right now, he's stopping another crisis on Infinite Earth and saving us from yet another terrible DC Comics reboot. But no, this is James Boyachuk coming to you from behind the chrome microphone of excellence. Now, I'd like to introduce you to the show within a show, the most dateable co-host. Bachelor number one is Chris Nigro, author and founder of Wild Hunt Press. He loves long walks on the beach and snuggling. Bachelor number two is Ben Casson, co-founder and co-creator of 18th Wall Productions, and he loves puppies. So, women, I'm going to ask you to control yourselves until the end of the episode. We're going to need both of them tonight. So, on to the shameless and shameful plugging. What would you guys like to talk about this week? Well, to plug my bachelorhood, I want all the ladies out there to know I may not be the best-looking guy around, but I'm easy. Good Thank to know you, Chris. for all you lucky ladies out there. In terms of shameless plugging myself, I do indeed love puppies, specifically corgis, but I'm currently off the market for reasons of personal interest. Ah, uh, that's a shame. Everyone's going to just have to throw themselves at Chris now. Do you have anything Chris. other than yourselves you would like to plug? Well, I could remind everyone that my next published short story will be in the upcoming Sirens Call Publications anthology. Below the... um. I can't even remember the name, but I'm pretty sure. But it has something to do with sewers, and my story is called Melvin's Disgusting New Job, and his new job, spoiler alert, is in a sewer. And he's not quite alone down there. And by that, I don't mean just the rats. Oh, the rats will be there, but there's something else there keeping him company in a most unwelcome manner. Mwahaha. And ben? Nothing really to plug. Nothing really to plug on uh-huh. my end. I'm currently just in the midst of my ongoing artistic studies, so see where that goes in weeks to come. And as before, check 18thwall.com for the latest in your literature needs. Find out what we're up to this week. It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma just for you. Now, Rob has a shameful plug, the latest in his series of Scaricon updates. And he says that his friend of the week is Death House, which is a film due out in October. Produced by a friend of the show, and Chris Snigro especially, Felicita Rose, and I may be completely mangling her name, it stars an all-star cast of horror stars, including Sean Whalen as Satan. Sean was on our show two weeks ago to talk about the film briefly. The movie is also narrated by friend of the show, Adorane Barbaru, and I'm sure I'm really screwing up names left and right, who is so pleasant to chat with at Scaricon. The film was inspired by Dante's Inferno and is being compared to The Expendables due to its all-star cast of horror actors. We're excited for it, and when it comes out, please go see it. You should be excited for it, too. And when we James, come back... What dwells below? I just thought of the name of the anthology. Sorry, go on. And on that note of what dwells below. We're going to cut to a commercial and come back in just a minute. Guy Adams is a remarkably busy writer who has written some very well-received new Sherlock Holmes novels, Sherlock Holmes and the Breath of God and Sherlock Holmes and the Army of Dr. Moreau, Torchwood novels, and Iris Wildtime audio adventure Iris Rides Out, the award-winning World House series, audios in two series of Big Finish Productions, Bernie Summerfield series, and the wonderful adaption of the Virgin New Adventure novel All Consuming Fire, which had Sherlock Holmes meet the Seventh Doctor. It's my pleasure to introduce Guy Adams. Ben, I believe you wanted to go first? 
Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to say that I tuned into the audio version of All Consuming Fire because, of course, I'm an American and I have time for proper reading books. Um, and it just instantly captured me. Like, it speaks to quality right off the bat, the clear sound, the wonderful voices. Instantly, you just transported. Um, and I guess the first thing that I wanted to comment on were the fascinating... I guess you call them monster designs in the series, because one thing Doctor Who has always defined itself by are fascinating sci-fi monsters. Particularly the, um, not to get spoilers away, but there is a stick being, a pile of sticks is described as following around our main characters. It's some sort of alien being. I just wanted to have your thoughts on how you came up with such a unique design for such creatures. Well, the alien being was was um, particularly well played by me, um, but I can't take any credit for that because um, All Consuming Fire was actually an adaptation of uh, a novel by uh, Andy Lane, who is also sort of um, very well regarded for his Sherlock Holmes stuff. He wrote Sherlock Holmes novel, uh, Young Sherlock Holmes series, and. Back in the 90s, uh, Virgin Publishing did a lot of Doctor Who novels that were original Doctor Who novels, uh, one of which was, was Andy's book, which you know, is quite sort of simply Doctor, Doctor Who meets, meets Sherlock Holmes, with a, a little bit of Lovecraft and uh, other madness thrown in. And so my job um, with All Consuming Fire was to take what is actually quite a huge book. It's quite a dense book. Um, and turn it into two hours of audio, um, which I did by cutting cutting half of the characters out and just generally giving his novel a kicking, which is kind of why Andy didn't want to do it, I think, because uh, he was asked. He was asked if he would like to adapt his own, own book. But I, I think sometimes that sort of adaptation, you, you have to have enough distance to be able to be ruthless, um, so he decided maybe he, he liked his original book too much. Uh, and I love I loved the original book, but I haven't got the same kind of personal attachment, so I, I could come to it and be a little bit more um, vicious, perhaps. But, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the stick kind of alien, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember his name. It's, it's described as, as, as having far too many apostrophes in it by... Um, this this silly scriptwriter because it was it's a particularly sort of uh, Lovecraftian kind of name for this for this alien, um, but yeah, they, it's full of imagination. It's, it's a great book. It's very evocative of of, of, of Holmes and Lovecraft and, and Doctor Who. And if you can pull off all those three things, you're doing well. So the the task of adapting that into audio was yeah, it was hard. It was hard, but it was fun. It was it was good fun. Um, and I think I, I, I turned what was a very clever and literate book into into two hours of of romp. But you know that's kind of my speciality. I, I do good romp. But I'm glad you liked it. Oh, well, it definitely had its exciting moments. But I think you still captured some of the true literary charm in it, if only in the pure dialogue and narrative techniques. Uh, one thing that had to be a real challenge was in converting from the media where you can perfectly describe the visual world around you to one of pure audio with the various disguises that Holmes was taking on whenever he was infiltrating this or dealing with criminals here, which was done with the changes of his voice. Do you have any thoughts on that, like how you well, yeah, I mean, changes in his character? I mean, obviously, first of all, big, you know wave and, and, and bows of adoration towards Nick Briggs, who, who plays um, Holmes in, in all of the Big Finish. Big Finish has it at Sherlock Holmes range, um, but obviously also plays it in, in this adaptation. But, I mean, the thing with audio, because I've, I've written a lot of audio now. Um, I'm, I'm writing audio and, well, not as we speak, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing quite a lot of work for Big Finish now, which is lovely, and I enjoy it. But um, there's a kind of automatic assumption that audio is somehow restricted because you can't see it but it isn't you've just got to th you've, you've got to think around the corners I, I think someone who perhaps doesn't have an affinity with audio 
or doesn't have practice maybe would come to it and, and, and wonder how to get beyond lots of lines of dialogue of, of look is that a spaceship up there yes it is a spaceship it's quite big isn't it? it it is it's a very big spaceship it's quite a big yellow spaceship isn't it isn't it very big and yellow that that spaceship that's coming closer isn't it coming closer now and you know you don't you don't need to do all that audio is cleverer um it's kind of it, it, it occupies this this weird mid-ground i mean you talk about novels being able to describe um a lot of visual stuff and of course they do but but the reader is doing a lot of that work as well uh, i mean it depends on the writer but i mean i've i've, I've written far too many books um it's, it's almost a disease and i'm, I'm a big believer as a, a friend of mine that i've worked with a lot as comics artist jimmy broxton and uh, his description about books is is as soon as as the writer starts describing the curtains, he, he flings the thing across the room, and he's got a point. You know, novelists can can over describe the visuals, and I think I think a lot of the time the reader is actually doing a lot of the visual imagination themselves, and that's that's how we can end up really kind of latching onto a book because the characters we visualise those characters, we picture them, they are we're part of that invention process. An audience, you know, got a huge amount of scope. You've got the actors in their delivery. You've got the sound design. And for anyone that's not listened to audio and is, is maybe imagining kind of old comedy sketches of, of, of people walking in little wooden boxes filled with gravel pretending that they're, they're walking along a path or something. I mean, Big Finish is, is worlds beyond this. And uh, the guys that do, there's, there's various uh, um, people they work with that do sound design and music, sometimes both, sometimes um, separate sound designers and, and musicians. You know, the, the work they do is phenomenal. It really is proper movies for the ears. And so, you know, there's the, the so much that we can pick up as a listener just by sound. There's a guy called, um, I'm becoming very preachy here, forgive me, but there's a guy called um, Andrew Sachs, who was, uh, I'm aware I'm talking to Americans here and, and, and not wanting to assume some kind of cultural crossover, but you know Faulty Towers. Oh, you're perfectly oh, fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. and please preach. Don't and worry I think about, okay. most people in our audience are going to know Faulty Towers. It's okay, very no, famous. This is it. I'm, I'm, either, I'm, either, I'm either talking nonsense that people go, I have no idea what you're saying, or you're going, oh, patronizing little shit. Of course I know what Faulty Towers <laughs> So, you know, forgive me, whichever side of the, the, the kind of thing I've fallen on. But he, he did a radio play once, a half-hour radio play that had no dialogue at all. Um, it's oh. entirely done through sound design. And so he manages to tell an, an audio story uh, entirely through effects, entirely through through sound design, which, you know, I mean, it's an amazing achievement. And I just I sort of bow down to the bravery of attempting it, but it works. Um, mm. You know, the brain can pick up a lot. I mean, when, when writing in scripts, just simple things like I'm putting in stage directions of, of this sound should be stereo left, this should be stereo right, just so that you can kind of shape the world around you. You know, and even if I'm not doing kind of really um, prescriptive things like that, the sound designer knows enough to be able to start moving that kind of world around. And it's, it's, it's amazing what you can do that just, just through audio. It's, it's a great medium. It's really fun to work in. End, end of lesson. Yeah. I mean, I would be perfectly happy for this episode to turn in the master class of writing and audio <laughs> with Guy Adams. I know, it's such a pompous little sod, sorry. But, you know, it's just, it's, I, it's, it's become a big part of my workload this year, and I'm just adoring it. It's just such a really exciting medium to work in. I'm, I'm very, uh, my attention span is, is pretty short. I've always been a quick writer, and so I'm, I'm loving the fact that I'm now doing a lot of audio stuff where I'm, I'm constantly doing new projects all the time. This pleases me. You know, I'm the sort of person that, that gets terribly bored reading a book for a, for a month, let alone writing one. So to be able to sort of be creating all these kind of words, worlds, working in a new medium, well, as I say now, less so a new medium, but but originally when I the Iris Wild Time that you mentioned, that was my first. Um, you know, it's great. It's, it's new challenges, and I, I get very excited about by trying new styles, new 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 media to work in. 
you know, comics, books, um, audio. It's 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 all good as far as I'm concerned. It's all stories. Okay. So you definitely have your fascinating medium. Oh. I apologize. And no, sorry, Ben. No, I'm not. I, I was just tapering off with a definitely a fascinating medium. Love hearing about it. Yes. It, you know, it is it is a really great thing, and it's. And I know Big Finish got a huge audience. They 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 really don't need me to sit here going, "Do try Big Finish." You know, they're they're a very very um, successful, award winning, well respected company. But it, the the breadth of stuff you can achieve in that medium is just amazing. And you know, obviously they're they're far from the only people doing it, but uh, it's good stuff. So since audio is more and more on the rise and I see more Americans trying to get into doing something at least comparable to Big Finish, and I since we have quite a few writers in our audience, this might be a good question to ask. What tips would you give to someone who's trying to write an audio play script? This has turned into the masterclass, hasn't it? Um, uh, I'm afraid you're a little too good at what you do. Well, you know, that's very <laughs> sweet of you to say. Um, I just, a little part of me hopes that the listeners out there that have heard my work are going, oh, God, really? Um, tips, tips, tips. I, I think it's, it's, the main thing is like any medium, it's not just about audio, is don't obsess about restriction. Whenever you're you're attempting something, look instead to its strengths. You know, it's like I was saying before that, that, that I think a lot of people, because I, I have conversations with people that, that aren't writers, you know, and they ask what I do or what I'm up to at the moment, and I'll, I'll tell them. And, you know, audio is a, a good example in the sense that a lot of people, in a way, slightly like yourselves, were, were sort of think, well, isn't that really difficult? And, of course, you know, I'm, I'm having to explain it's not. But you, you, what you have to do is, is start to look at a medium whichever it may be, and go, okay, what are the real strengths of this medium? You know, you've got to look at the, the positives and then you grab hold of those and that's how you make something really fly. Um, I mean, horror, I mean, horror is just born for audio. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that think horror works better as, as, as a movie than it does as a book as much as I've, I've written a number of horror novels and I have many horror novels um, I think horror is very good as a, as a visual medium but at the same time there is something about the insidious voice whispering in your ear that audio brings that kind of intimacy because you have to focus with audio, you have to you pay attention and the, the sound's right there inside your skull, you know, because you're probably using headphones, most people are using headphones, so, you know, it's, it really offers itself um, as a great thing for horror, you know, from, from the tiniest whisper to the loudest scream, you can, you can play games with audio and you can't see. Um, that can be a benefit. If we look back at sort of 50s, BBC radio comedy, for example, like The Goons. Um, the Goons understood that being on the radio meant they could constantly subvert the listener's um, visual imagination because you would think you were hearing one thing. You would paint the visual picture in your head and then just one line of dialogue would completely flip that and you'd realise that that wasn't what you were hearing, you were hearing something else. They used that for comic effect, but you know, equally, obviously, in audio, you can use it for any effect. You can play games, you can play tricks. Don't think, well, there's no pictures, so what am I going to do? Think, there's no pictures, so what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> turn it into a positive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of the challenge, speaking as someone who's attempted myself of horror writing, is truly trying to get that sense of fear across. You spend so much time in so many words trying to explain to the reader or convince them why they should be afraid, whereas with visual or especially with sound you know fear of the unseen you give them directly what you want to be giving them that stimuli that makes them afraid rather than telling them when they should be well is it i mean when you when you're dealing with pros you have different tricks for horror i think you know you you again you can subvert in the sense that because you're 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 pulling someone by the hand through your sentences and your paragraphs you're you're timing their experience to a degree, the um, 
with comics or, or, or cinema, then you're, you've got a, an immediate visual kind of stimuli. But with, with prose, it, it can be insidious. It can creep because you can play different tricks. But yeah, audio is just, um, I've got a torture play coming out next month, which was, which was I, I got the gig entirely because the idea was write a horror movie for the years, basically. Um, uh, our star, the wonderful Eve Miles, was um, she's a big fan of, of horror. And we'd just done a, a play, she liked it, which was nice, and she said, write me a horror movie. And, and that's, that's, a, that's, that's the entire kind of reason this thing exists. Um, because it's just, yeah, what can you do with horror that can just whisper in your ears? And it's a, it's a really powerful and great fun. You know, as they, I mean, the one thing with audio is, is it's kind of hard to sort of plug headphones in someone and then sort of sneak around the corner and wait for them to look disturbed. At least, at least cinema is kind of a more a group thing. I saw Saw in a packed cinema when it first came out, and it was just the greatest piece of theatre. Just this rippling of, of kind of laughter and shrieking throughout a kind of auditorium. It's a nice sort of give and take to that, whereas obviously, much like books, audio is more intimate, so you, 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 you don't get to see the effect immediately. But, um, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a great medium. Keep at it. Terrify people in their ears. Get rid of that prose. I think that's the immortal quote for this episode. Terrify people in their ears. Get rid it's, of that prose. You know, it's it's a piece of advice and it's a sexual preference. You know, it's just it's something I have done through all my life. And actually a little pull quote, by all means. <laughs> this is what happens when you talk to me late at night. I mean, you know, you could have called me four hours ago and I would have been sensible, but no. I think you, that it's turning out much better this way. <laughs> yeah, you yeah get, definitely much better. You get gremlin guy. You you get fed after midnight guy. That's what you get. <laughs> well, when it comes to the audio medium guy, do you do you think the fact that you can add ominous music and other sound effects also is a game changer compared to just prose and how it, it affects the imagination? Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, they all have their different strengths, um, but I enjoy the collaborative side of audio. I mean, it's it's um, it's a bit like. I mean, it's, there's a, there's a kind of similarity in the comics world where it's changing now, but people forget to mention colorists and they forget to mention letterers because they're they're kind of the invisible part of comics. Uh, and in audio, sometimes you you do get this this. Um, temptation to go well the director was great the script writer was great and I loved the actor um, but there is, there's no doubt that the guys that um, are doing sound design and music they're just as important just as important um, possibly more so because you get you get awful sound design or, or ineffectual insipid music and, and you'll kill everything else stone dead I mean it's it's audio is a, a proper collaborative medium you know and everyone's got to be playing their a game for the for the thing to to work as a whole and you know i'm i'm lucky i haven't i haven't been involved in anything that's that's floundered well except for the scripts obviously they i mean they're illiterate tosh but you know at least they sound pretty well you think that also means you have to choose the voice actors with pretty much as much care as if you were casting for a film? Oh, completely, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, there, I mean, because there is no difference like that. I mean, I've worked with a number of directors, but um, probably mainly a guy called Scott Hancock. And, you know, he's the cast he, he's pulled together for some of the projects I've been on are just amazing, amazing um, actors. And, you know, it's, it's yeah, acting for audio is, is a different... A skill to acting on on TV, film, or, or theatre. I mean, they're all different skills. Um, but you know, you get a great actor, and they they can they can play their games with with each uh, different skill. Um, I mean, I've done, I used to be an actor. Um, well, I used, I used to be the sort of actor that often wasn't one, but would still pretend. 
you know, what, what do you do for a living? Oh, don't ask me that. Just, I'm an actor, but, you know, not for, I mean, I'm a waiter for a living, but, I mean, you know, I'm an actor, I'm trained. But um, I've, I've been lucky enough to get to, to play in, in the... Uh, in the booths with, with some of the stuff I've been involved in, and um, I'm frankly awful. But it's it's really nice that, in a way, that's that's kind of has been exciting because I think, wow, this speaker this would be fun. And then I realise how hard it is, how um, how much you have to bring to your voice to not overact. You know, because someone could, because you you don't have the visual cues, you don't have the the facial tics, the the, the you know, just any kind of physical movement. So you you have to inflect so much more with your voice, but that could encourage someone to really overact, and then that becomes grotesque and it's awful and it just doesn't work. So it's pitching this kind of middle ground where you're bringing all the color and flavor into a performance that you need for it to to really fly. Um, so it's not flat and dull, but it's it's not pantomime grotesque, and you know, it's it's a real real skill and. Um, amazing thing to watch uh, you know I've, I've been in the booth and, and you get a real mixture of actors some actors are very physical even though it's audio um, which is great I found myself doing this as well you're, you're, you're stood behind the microphone no one's even looking at you You know, the, the, everyone's staring down their monitors or their scripts or whatever but you're flinging yourself all over there. I've been told off before of, guy we, we can hear you thrashing you know which <laughs> <laughs> is again you know a life choice but it's it's so many actors just bring a real physicality to their performance even though they're only uh, doing vocal work and yet i've also seen some of the most phenomenal actors that are just so utterly still just sat on their their, their stool even and, and just just the pages in front of them and it all just comes out of the, out of the voice it's this this wonderful almost like a, an act of ventriloquism. It's, it's, a, it's fascinating to watch. I'm a process person. This probably comes across quite clearly so far. I'm fascinated by processes of anything creative. So, you know, it kind of... I'm always uh, interested to watch that kind of thing. I mean, it makes yeah, you an engaging guest. There's a lot to absorb. Well, yeah, I'm like... I'm, yeah, a lot to absorb. I, I suggest listeners where kind of well, diapers I should be I should be a, a wonderfully American for you but yeah make sure you're wearing your most absorbent clothing while listening to this <laughs> because um, it's it's distinctly liquid I no, thought it was I nice think... sorry keep stepping on you <laughs> <laughs> see, you see, you've got no visual stimuli. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You can't see each other, so you don't know who's going to talk next. You see, this is this is audio to a T. We are teaching audio through example here. Excellent. <laughs> uh, I can do bullshit at any time of the day. Don't worry. That's fine. So, should we move on to other questions, or do you have anything else about writing in particular, or the process of writing? Oh God, no! Let's let's by all means move on to other questions, and I shall I shall try to stop preaching. You've done quite a lot of work with Big Finish lately, and mm -hmm. so far, all of it that I've listened to is really fantastic. So, how did you come to work with Big Finish, and what is it like working with them? It's. It's, it's probably the best thing I've ever done. Um, really, really enjoying it. How I came, how I came to work for them. But the first thing I did was was the Iris Wild Time that you mentioned, which was a, a series they do with um, the wonderful Katie Manning, who was a companion in Doctor Who uh, back in the seventies with John Pertwee, and uh, it's a character created by this wonderful writer called Paul Mars, and she's kind of a female. Uh, Doctor, in a way, that's that's kind of that's lessening her, but you know, for the sake of a, a shorthand. Um, yeah. And the producer of that range was a guy called Kevin Scott, who um, I've worked with on other things, and I, I knew from other kind of areas, from from sort of pro stuff, really. Um, we'd been discussing a book um, about Karnaki. Um, Hodgson's uh, ghost detective um, 
and uh, he decided that actually Karnacki would be, be good as an extra character in, in, in the IRS range that he was he was producing. So he commissioned me to do a story that would feature Karnacki, and that was that was the first one I did. Then there was there was kind of a big gap. I was doing novels and stuff, and that was fine. And then I can't. The next thing I did was was Bernie Summerfield, which I've done a few of those, which again is a, an, another range they do. Um, Great fun, wonderful Lisa Bowman, the act, uh, actor that, that plays um, uh, Benny Summerfield. It, she's a um, she's Lara Croft before Lara Croft existed. Uh, created by Paul, Paul Cornell, um, archaeologist and adventurer. Um, so that was great, and it's just it's it's like anything. It's it's it snowballs. I, I suppose. I maybe for some strange reason I'm assuming a lot of big finished drinks or maybe they have some kind of, you know, mental problems, but for some reason they <laughs> seem to think I can do what I do. Um maybe I maybe I just yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm easy. <laughs> so it's it's snowballed. It's it's just kind of snowballed and that's been lovely. And so, you know, I've I've been able to work on a number of different ranges and um it's great, you know. It really is great. I love, I love going into studio. I can't often do that because I live here in Spain, and you oh. know, there's there's a there's a streak in you that really wants to go and hear all your scripts performed by lovely, brilliant, amazing, beautiful people, and then you realise you're you're yes. spending hundreds of pounds on airfares for the sake of your ego, which is pathetic. So you know, <laughs> uh, you, you I mean, to, I would do the same. So <laughs> I can't blame you. That was actually going to be my next question. Like, with Big Finish, how, big how involved is it's, the writer? Yes, how big is your ego? But also, how involved is the writer in Big Finish's recording and stuff? Are you, like, put to the side in Hollywood? Or are you much more involved I mean, through to the end? The writer, in my opinion, this is a personal opinion, this isn't a description of Big Finish's working practice, but in my opinion, the writer shouldn't be involved at all when it comes to recording. I don't mean that they, they shouldn't attend, uh, and it can be useful if they attend, because then the director can sort of say, look, you know, say an actor's got a problem with a line or, or doesn't quite get the meaning of something or is is, is thrown by something. Um, the director's got the writer there to sort of say, do you want to help? talk someone through this but the thing the thing with and I think it's the same with TV and film I mean I know it's it's kind of a a long standing joke that's utterly true about you know writers being refused access to sets and stuff but you have to have a focus you know when it comes to recording in studio the director is, is king and they have to be you know you you, um, you can't have lots of voices arguing something Again, bear in mind, just sort of closing your ears, putting your headphones on, and you've got all the actors' voices, you've got the director's voices, then all of a sudden, what, you're going to have the writer going, well, what I actually meant was... I mean, it's just <laughs> meltdown time. It, you, you can't... I mean, I'll be honest, I've done it. I did it once, and I cringed. I just... As soon as I did it, I thought, oh, you're just you're awful. You have to have that, that kind of focus. Um, so whenever I've been, my, my, my attitude is, is very much to just, I often just sit in the green room actually and eat the free donuts. But, you know, if I'm going to be in the, in the actual, um, like the, the, the engineering booth, there's probably a really brilliant word for it. And I don't know it. That, that shows how lacking in, in technical knowledge I am. I will just sit quietly on the sofa at the back. And if someone's going to ask me a question, I'll answer the question. But otherwise, I'll just I'll sit there and smile. And, you know, if the director says something and I think, well, actually, that's not what I meant, you keep your mouth shut because it's the director's turn now. And, you know, okay. it's producing. I mean, Big Finish produce an hour of, of audio in a day. That's the kind of schedule they work to, which some people who who don't have kind of experience perhaps of other uh, creative fields think that's kind of really slow. You think, well, you're there for eight hours and you only managed to record an hour. Anyone that's ever worked in TV and film just thinks it's terrifyingly quick. Um but that's that's the standard sort of of turnaround, you know. And you 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 go for through for a run through, which you also record in case something brilliant happens. And then you'll maybe go for for a couple of takes, and then you're on to the next scene. It needs to be quick. It needs to be focused. 
And yeah, you just don't want these conflicting kind of voices and, and conflicting opinions. The writer's done their job at that point. Uh, and bearing in mind, obviously, it's not just with books. I mean, with books, you've got an editor. You know, when I've worked in prose, you, you've got an editor, then you've got a copy editor. But there's a certain kind of preciousness to novelists. Novelists are very used to sort of, I've written my, my opus, and here it is, and by all means, point out where I should have used a comma, but, you know, just don't mess with my beautiful, beautiful work. Whereas when you're working in scripts, it is much more collaborative. You know, I, I'm whenever I'm doing a big finish, I'm, I'm, I've got a producer and I've got a script editor, both of whom will want to give notes in the first instance. There'll be certainly a couple of drafts. Bearing in mind, I've already done a storyline at this point, which two, three, four drafts, whatever it takes to make everyone happy to get uh, approvals. The BBC will have approvals in certain ranges, things like that, and you're constantly making changes. And then once you've written uh, the script, producer, script, then the director will want to take a look at it because the director's job is then going to be to take that into studio and make that work. So obviously they're going to want to chip in. Um, and then once you even get into studio, I, I sat I sat down with the, the, the lovely David Warner, who uh, wanted sort of clarification on a couple of lines. You, you, a script is fluid. It's constantly changing. You can't be precious about it. Uh, you certainly can't be sat at the back going, I think it should be more like this. You do have a very strong tendency to work with Sherlock Holmes and also to yeah. combine Sherlock Holmes with other Victorian characters. Yeah, kind what of. What inspired this? I mean, the, the I mean, the Sherlock Holmes has, has, has been a big thing since I was a kid. When I was in when I was in school, I read Sherlock Holmes, and it was you know, was, um, you know I, I, I fell in love with the with the short stories particularly. Um, so I've always been a fan of him. And when I was an actor, uh, during a brief window when I was actually being an actor as an actor, uh, I played Sherlock Holmes really badly. Um, I was I was doing a Jeremy Brett. I couldn't get I couldn't get beyond Jeremy Brett. He was perfect for me, and so when I was trying to play, I ended. Up, I realised I was doing a, a particularly weak impersonation of Jeremy Brown, so it wasn't good. But you know, it's, it's been a constant sort of thing through my life. When it came to the, the novels, um, working with with Titan, and the adding other characters was actually their their directive. It wasn't wasn't mine. I didn't mind, but it, it came from them because they'd found they'd been doing reprints of. Um, other Sherlock Holmes pastiche novels, and they found the ones that were particularly popular were ones that brought in other other um, characters that that were a draw. You know, without wanting to make this sound or terribly reductive, obviously anything in in publishing or anything like that, you're trying to get sales because it's, it's it's what it's what keeps everything afloat. And so there was the, definitely a. a a thread, and bearing in mind we hadn't had the, the Danny Junior movies at that point, they were, they were pending when I wrote the first one. Uh, so they, they could have bombed, and it could have been... Sherlock Holmes didn't seem quite such an obvious big sales hook. We had no Sherlock, we had no Danny Junior. And so that it was a, a case of, could you add more things to it? There was a suggestion of Dracula, which I was really snobbish about, because I, I don't like vampires, and it's been done to death. Uh, but that's okay. That's, I was the geek, so I, I knew it had been done to death. Uh, it wasn't their job to know that. Um, so the first one I did, I, I did do it as a love letter to kind of you know Victorian Edwardian supernatural stuff, and I I, I brought in um, Alistair Crowley and um, Karnaki again. That's that's where the conversation would have come in about uh, Karnaki. Uh, see, all my whole life threads together now. It all makes sense. Uh, and various, various characters that I, I threw in there and, and wanted to make, because there's that whole thing with Sherlock Holmes of, of you know, the supernatural need not apply. Yes. And I wanted to play with that. I wanted to, because on the one hand, I, I think they kind of wanted me to write an all-out, very obvious supernatural novel which would have had, you know, at some point Sherlock Holmes going, well, I guess I was wrong then, which just feels uh, impossible. I don't think uh, Sherlock Holmes would ever I gladly admit to being wrong. No. Um, so I, I wanted to see how far I could push that, how far I could play with that, and yet kind of balance both worlds, if you like. Um, maybe I succeeded, maybe I didn't. I enjoyed doing it. I think um, you succeeded admirably well. 
where you have those huge things like the fight with the pentagram mm. and all of the things rushing at them, that's but the, at the end, the you still right have that reasonable explanation that works. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's left as a kind of a bit of a grey area, I suppose, but it's it's enough of it can be explained to keep um, the supreme rationalist happy of which you know I, I share his I share his beliefs I'm, I'm but then so many horror writers I know we're all atheists and rationalists we don't believe in any of this that's why we like to write it it's, it's where we do our dreaming um, and the second one the second one was um, so I'd, I'd done Supernatural then I thought well I'll do the, the science fiction romance I'll do uh H.G. Wells, so it was Moreau and, and various other elements that played into that. And Challenger, of course, I brought into there as well. Um, again, my kind of version of, of looking at that kind of literature, that, that sort of um, preachy, I suppose, which H.G. Wells was, because, I mean, Moreau was all about vivisection and animal experimentation, and that's, that's something that's important to me, uh, being a... a a pale and yet surprisingly fat vegan. Um, so you know, the, the, there was a lot of stuff for me to to play with there. So that was that was great fun. Now what else did I do? I did short stories. I've done a few short stories as well. Again for Titan. So you know, I keep getting to do it, but not for a bit. I'd like to do another one. I keep I keep threatening to do another one. Um, I think I think they might let me if I if. If I pitched something that was good enough, I think they'd, they'd probably think about it. But thankfully, I've been too busy making silly things for actors to shout. <laughs> Some threats should be carried out, correct, James? Some should. Just, just well, obviously, I'm terrified now. Um, yeah, backtrack, please backtrack from the threat thing. <laughs> just to backtrack a little to, <laughs> to, to what we're talking about like given that experience you know you as the writer with these audio works you know you're given something and you have nothing to do with the image and your your attitude is oh what can I do with this you know do you ever find yourself like are you purely imagining this in an audio perspective or do you have to sort of picture the visuals yourself first before you can really turn it into pure sound oh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've always been a visual writer so even my novels are kind of visual led um, it's mainly because I, I fell in love with stories through Doctor Who on TV and, and comics, comics were you know, my big thing and, and still are to be honest um, which makes certain much more learned prose authors um look at me through narrowed eyes but yeah I, I've always thought of stories in visual terms um, and just because something is prose on a page doesn't mean it, it shouldn't be a very visual uh, process and so you know, when I'm doing audio I am still thinking visually but yeah you, you've got the thing in the back of your head where you're going okay how can I, how can I evoke this um, in a world of sound and um, so yeah you have, you've got to play the two things off one another but again audio is a very visual medium it's just it's just the listener that's that's finishing off the work you know we kind of do the sketch and then they they come along and, and paint it um, actually I've given them far too credit far too much credit we, we, do, we do oil masterpieces and they come and put on the frame <laughs> no, no they are more involved than do you think, Guy, in some sense that the, the audiobook popularity could in some sense be a resurgence of old-time radio? I think, it, I think it should be. I mean, bearing in mind, I, 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 I think radio drama or radio comedy in America kind of doesn't exist, does it? Am I, am I wrong? I mean, is, is that... I'm, I'm talking about commercially here. I know there's, there's kind of... Um, there's, there's companies that do it, but coming from the UK, where you know you, you still get drama on the, on the radio, so it kind of never went away in the UK. Maybe it wasn't as as um, big as it once was before the advent of, of TV, but 
you know, we, we still have um, The Archers, which is our kind of soap that, that runs, which I've never listened to, but a lot of my friends are big fans of. We have some amazing comedy on the radio. Um, radio 4 do a lot of great drama. Um, you know, so it's 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 perhaps its popularity has, has risen and dropped, risen and dropped, but, but, you know, all of these things are cyclic. All, all creative things are cyclic, you know, it's like people talk about the cinema where you couldn't move for westerns because westerns were the thing. Now, of course, we have superior movies. I'm very happy with that. I love superiors, but that in its time will also change and we'll go back and it'll be, um, I don't know, movies about psychotic turtles. Who knows what it will be? But everything is always psychic. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, I, I think people have come back to audio because of companies like Big Finish doing things that are... They've got a big market. They've got a big fan base. They've recently done um, a box set with David Tennant playing the Tenth Doctor, and of course that was a, that was a huge deal. And just when you know you kind of thought, well, everyone knows Big Finish exists, surely, you then realise actually there were still loads of people that didn't that were just fans of, of of Doctor Who from its its sort of resurgence in 2005. And when I say just, I don't mean to mean them. But that, I'm just compartmentalising, and, and you know, yeah, to them, Big Finish had been slightly under the radar, perhaps. Um, and then David Tennant and uh, uh, Catherine come along and do do their, their their big stuff, and all of a sudden, oof, you know, more listeners again, which is great. You know, it's it's oh, nothing would please me more than than for audio to be alongside all of the other you know media. But you know, it's it's good. We will, we've we've got dedicated listeners. All five of them love my work. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> it's not just five. Ben just no, discovered it's... you a few days ago. You're up to six now. There you You're go, really you rolling in the big leagues. I am. I am. It's <laughs> nice. And by the time this has gone out, I I may even gain my seventh. We can only fingers crossed. Mm. But yes, I've noticed that audio is getting more and more and more out there with all of these successive big releases, some big finish, some not. I think we're looking at what might be one of the more dominant forms of media for the next couple of decades. But we'll have to see. I, tell you, so, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I meant it when I said I don't really have a kind of... I don't know how big it is in America. I, I don't have a, a judge on that. Um, I, I, I don't... Because I mean I'm right, aren't I? That you don't really have that on your radio. You don't. You can't sit in your car, turn that on, and find drama. Am I right, or am I completely? You're off the pretty mark? much right. So it is uh, kind of it's, it's internet-led. It's it's more you know through the you know the rise of podcasts, the rise of of, of you know as you say audiobooks, CDs, downloads, and, and and iTunes, of course, and all that kind yes. of stuff. And it's surprisingly the hip young people thing. Yeah. I- I just had a thought, Guy. Um, would you think maybe that the audio medium would be a good place to revive? Well, we already had a, re- a revival in Pro to the Pulp Heroes, but wouldn't audio be fantastic for, like, the Shadow or the Spider? I believe the Shadow was born in audio and on old-time radio. Yeah, was sh- Shadow was a radio series, yeah. I mean, I think I'm not, I'm not quite expert enough, but I think you're right. I think Shadow was radio first, wasn't it? I think it was. I- yeah, oh, sure. It may, it may I, have been a comic first. I'm not, was it a newspaper strip first? Might have been. I don't, I don't. I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, pulp stuff is great because again, you're, you're dealing with something that's that's really rich in atmosphere. All that kind of pulp stuff. Um, you know, all you need is the sound of of, of dripping dark alleyways and a distant saxophone and, and and the gun being loaded in here there. A little flick of the cabardine coat. You know, it's 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 evocative, rich stuff. And, and and audio leads itself, lends itself very well to that kind of evocative, rich atmosphere. So yeah, pulp stuff would be great on on, on radio, on on audio. Let's do it, shall we? Let's do it now. Yes, let's all stand together. The five to of hell us. with it. Let's, let's all of your listeners to too, and make it happen. <laughs> mm, all right. Get the shadow shadow on big finish. <laughs> I may see. You, you're asking me to deliver something I can't achieve now. Unfortunately, but, uh, you know, I'll buy a gun and I'll see if we can, you know, do a deal in true That's shadow style. Yes. Awesome thought, though. Maybe I plant the seed. 
point of note, I was just looking into it. I believe Shadow actually began as pulp novels before it was released oh, in so radio dramas. Completely it's a bit more complicated wrong. because he started as a radio character, but he only introduced other stories. But then they decided to try and test the character's popularity in novels, and then he took over the show that he used to be the host of. It's really oh, weird. See, we're opening up this great trunk of knowledge now. I'm so <laughs> glad I didn't pretend I knew. That could have been so embarrassing. <laughs> well, being an expert as I am, I think you'll find the shadow was a was originally mime. Uh, it was very famous in New York as a mime. Oh, right, show. I forgot entirely. Yeah. We're starting to draw to the end of our time together, so is there anything you wanted to talk about or promote that we missed? Oh, God. That you have coming out in the near future. I think I've probably covered it. Just, you know, buy everything with my name on it, for God's sake. Just keep the cats fed. You know, that's all I ask. You know, that's all they ask. It's such a a small favor. Um, I've mentioned the torture that's coming out next month. I've got a a Doctor Who coming out in August, uh, which is great, which is set in in Spain. Uh, It's with Sylvester again, Fiesta of the Day. I'm really looking forward to that set of three. Um, Yeah, yeah, this is it. We've got Mel back. Um, who I hadn't written for, so that was, that was good. Um, and I'd never written anything set in Spain despite having lived here for ten years. So that was that was that was good. I'm looking forward to. It. I haven't heard that yet because um, you know, as, as you would imagine, you know, the, these things tend to be ready shortly before release. Uh, yes, you know, a few weeks before release. So yeah, I'm not I'm not that far ahead of it, but I'm sure it'll be amazing because there's a lot of great actors involved and. Uh, uh, Ken, the director, always always does great, great stuff. So, yeah, that's coming out. And then after that, there's lots of stuff that I just can't even say. So, you know, let's not go there. I've got a really nice uh, horror thing, actually, which, which has been announced, which is uh, Scott's um, Dorian Gray range that Big Finish do. I don't know if you, you, you've listened to any of these, but the Scott Hancock, who um, produces and, and, and directs uh, this range, is a big horror fan and this is kind of always been his, his love letter to horror and uh, they're finishing the series off and I've written one of them which involves Jack the Ripper which is unusual for me because again Jack the Ripper is one of those things that I look at and think oh it's kind of been done have I got anything new to say about it and then I kind of found out that I did so that was that was good fun and he Sounds thinks it's fun. the sickest thing they've ever done which really pleased me <laughs> I mean, on one one hand, I thought, really, have you have you not done anything more sick than this? If I'd known that, I would have got really carried away. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I mean, that should be great stuff. Oscar Wilde, Jack the Ripper, Dorian Gray. You can't go wrong, can you, really? No. So yeah, buy it. all those. Buy those three. And then when all the other stuff happens, buy that as well. Okay. <laughs> It's quite quite Letterman, isn't it? I should be able to hold something up, but again, it's audio, so we can't. I mean, you could always be a very bad audio writer and describe in detail the thing you are, in fact, holding up. Yeah, but you see, that that completely undercut the entire previous 45 minutes, wasn't it? So I just can't do that. I have my principles. This is true. So do you guys have anything else left to ask? Chris, Ben? Well, I do have one thing. Uh, I, oh, go on, Ben. Go ahead, Chris. Okay, I do have one thing I can't resist saying, and I apologize ahead of time for. I killed Karnacki. Sorry. Well, you, you you say that you think you have, <laughs> but you know, I I'll, I'll I'll rise to that challenge. I can bring him back. In the world of Karnacki, dead. What, what's that mean? That's nothing. Dead's a dead's a head cold. I'm sorry, you get you get no bonus points for dead, Chris. Hey, if Kenny could always come back, so could Karnacki. Absolutely. Ben. Ben. Uh, yeah, there was just one thing. It's kind of a odd topic, but there's just this one moment in the audio that just instantly caught me. It back to Alchemy Fire again. Um, it's kind of a thing I was trying to build to with the talk of the visuals is the one moment where in an offhand flashback, Holmes employs Larry to, to take out a bunch of thugs surrounding him, and there's this 
utter bedlam of noise and bashing and just indistinct violence, and then he just waves it off. It's like, oh, Watson doesn't need explaining what I did. And you being a Holmes fan and Barry to being like such a rarely employed part of the Holmes universe, I was wondering if there was anything you had envisioned for how Holmes took out those thugs since it's such an undefined fighting style. Well, obviously he would use Britsu, which doesn't even exist, but um, bless you, Doyle, for, for slightly misspelling something that did. Um, I, the, the whole point of that scene, to be honest, was just having having fun with it. I mean, for a start, I, there's no problem with doing fight on audio. I was happy to do a fight on audio. Um, I recently did a ski chase on audio. That's how stupid I am. But um, I just thought it was funny because Sherlock Holmes, you know, to Watson... Everything in that story has been building up to the moment where where Holmes can tell the thrilling time when he had to fight off all of these gang members. Um, mm-hmm. Because to Watson, you know, the storyteller, the, the you know, the pulp novelist, if you like, that's that's the payoff, that's the thrilling moment. Whereas to Holmes, that's the dull bit, that's the really boring bit. The exciting bit is some <laughs> mental deduction that comes before or afterwards. I just I, I I just thought that was that was a fun opportunity to kind of play off those two personalities but the actual noise was created by Nick Briggs who is a very violent man he's he's extremely violent he's he's I've I've met him several times now and one of the bruises has yet to heal how many black eyes has he given you um four at the same time and that's pretty impressive that is (laughs) tell him some of my guy that'll get back at him real quick (laughs) <laughs> it is. That's me fired. You know that. You go. Well, yes, you, you did. You did decide to sort of announce that I was extreme. That I beat you. Yes, Nick Briggs abuses me. <laughs> <sighs> it's not true, Nick. You know it's not true. Don't find me now. Please. That question's going to be in everyone's minds forever. Yeah. Nick Briggs, author abuser. I'll try and get a photo in Doctor Who magazine at some point with me with, with just a pair of dark sunglasses in studio <laughs> see if we can't get that spreading that whole kind of rumour yeah anyone that's ever met him ever it just wouldn't play but you know never mind I don't think it even plays for anyone who's just listened to the Big Finish <laughs> podcast no that's a good point isn't it but then you could you could add that to the podcast you see it become a new weekly feature who, yes. who does Nick punch this week and you know <laughs> Listeners could could email in and and roving Nick could get out on the streets and and, and deal out <laughs> some punishment. Make a contest out of it. Can you distinguish the sound of this pair of knuckles hitting this cheek? You get yeah, but that's right, the crazy. He can prize. record all of that and he can use it all in future. Before. It's it's a cost saving measure as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm seriously <laughs> going to. Email, as soon as we finished, I'm emailing him this because I really think this could. I mean, not only could it save a few quid, I think it'll really be popular. Yeah, I think it'd be great. <laughs> and he comes to America, so I'm going to send him after you lot. No, <laughs> I look forward to it. For that next few days. Mm. So, lastly. Oh, where can our listeners find you on social media? Where do you post announcements? Oh, just not as regularly as I should because I'm always too busy writing and not busy enough telling people that I'm writing. Uh, I am on Twitter and I am on Facebook. And is this the point where I'm supposed to be able to tell you exactly where I am? No, I'm, I'm at Guy Adams Author on Twitter. I can always remember that one because I hate it. But there is a Guy Adams journalist. There's a, it's a journalist who works for the Daily Mail, and I. Um, that's uh, it's sort of a newspaper in England. <laughs> um, it's a very popular newspaper in England, but it's horrible. And uh, I kept getting mistaken for him, and I'd get people that had been in slightly inflammatory articles in the Daily Mail emailing me via my website saying, you know, I really didn't eat that baby. Um, <laughs> So I, you know, I had to sort of change my Twitter thing to at Guidem's author, which just sounds so pompous and ridiculous. But yeah, so that's me on Twitter. On Facebook, I just don't. I'm, you know, <sighs> I'm opening a window. That's how, that's how bad this is. This is this is how 
But this is this is so English, you see. We're we're awful at selling ourselves. We just can't do it. Um, where does it even say what I am? Um, I'm Guy Adams. Guy Adams. Thirty nine. Is that right? Is that that that's the thing I should be saying? Help me. Yeah. I'm not looking at your URL, but no, I'm but I mean that's that's track. the URL, isn't it? Facebook.com forward slash guy Adams. Thirty nine, where you can see my mother post cat videos. <laughs> Which she doesn't do anymore because I mentioned once and she got really self-conscious about it. So now she daren't post anything on my wall ever. Which you know, that's just mothers for you. That's that's what yes. happens. But you know, yeah, that's where I exist. Good to know. Everything else is fictitious. <laughs> I think that's the best note to end this interview on. Thank you so much for your time. A pleasure, thank you. Well, that's about all the time we've got. Join us next week when we'll be talking with author Jim Beard. Before I end, I want to thank our inspiration, Joe Blesser. I'd also like to thank our crowdfunding donor, Elliot Gilman. And a special thanks to Nick Briggs Fiss. Tiny Right in the Deadites for our show's theme music, Leaf on a Stream. Thank you to everyone who listened. Remember to subscribe and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. <laughs>